Now, Jeremiah, it's a long book. In fact, just by word count, it's the longest book in the Bible. And if you've been following the reading plan, you may say, I totally agree with that. Are we ever going to get out of this book? What I've enjoyed is we've kind of been able to camp out in Jeremiah, and next week we're going to look at Lamentations, and Lamentations, many scholars believe, was written by Jeremiah, speaking to the great destruction that was taking place in Jerusalem. So we'll be with Jeremiah one more week. Now what we saw a couple Sundays ago is that the Lord appointed Jeremiah to a certain task. He called Jeremiah to be a prophet to this nation of Judah. And this, this message that he had was a hard message. And in this call, this appointment of Jeremiah to be a prophet, God comes to Jeremiah and he tells him this. He says, I have appointed you to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, and to build and to plant And this is exactly what we've seen with the message of Jeremiah, that Jeremiah has spoken to the people's sin. He's carried and gave this hard message. And the people, they've been involved in idolatry. They were mixing the true uh, gospel, as we would say now, with false religion. The government was corrupt. There was injustice in the land. And God, he continued to send uh, prophet after prophet. In his great mercy, he kept sending these prophets so that they would turn back to the Lord, but they kept refusing the Lord. And they refused God's word, his, his grace, his correction, his forgiveness, his love. If you just summarize it, they rejected the Lord. They said, we don't, we don't want you. And Jeremiah, he had prophesied that this nation of Babylon, as it was growing in strength, that they would come against the nation of Judah. They would destroy Jerusalem. They would destroy the temple. And for those people that had not been killed by the sword, they had not died by, by famine, it was just this horrible situation that a small remnant would stay in this city, but the rest would be carried into exile. And this is exactly what takes place. And so the people, they are in exile. They are away from the land. And they're asking, did God give up on us? Will God fulfill his promises that he made so long ago to their fathers? Is it over for us as the people of God? And in the midst of this great despair, as these people were asking these hard questions, where there was much confusion about what is taking place, much confusion about their relationship with the Lord, the plans that he still had for his people. Jeremiah, he gives this great message of hope, of, of comfort, of restoration. In chapters 30 to 33, this is really this, what's called the book of consolation. Because it's been judgment after judgment and after Basically, chapter 33 is going to be more judgment. But right in the midst of this book is this great message of hope that God has not given up on his people, that they will return to the land after being in Babylon for about 70 years, that the city will be rebuilt, that the temple will be rebuilt, and that one day there will be a new covenant that the Lord will make with his people. And so this morning, we're going to look at that promise of this new covenant that is found in Jeremiah chapter 31, starting in verse 31. And so if you have Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, I'm going to read to verse 34, if you'll follow with me. The days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. So what we find is that God is going to establish a new covenant with his people. Now, sometimes when we think of that, that term covenant, we think more of, of a contract. And a contract is, is more formal. It's not all that intimate. We deal, you know, we kind of think of business contracts. But a covenant goes much deeper. It involves a, a personal and intimate relationship. It has this, this binding relationship feel to it. And so this was the covenant that God had made with Israel, what is known as the Mosaic or, or Old Covenant now. And we can see the intimacy in what we just read, that the Lord, he doesn't say, hey, I just made this covenant with you. He says, no, I made a covenant. I was a husband to you. So again, it's not a, a contract. It's not a business contract. A better way to think of it is a marriage covenant, very intimate with the nation of Israel. And again, this was what we know as the Mosaic Covenant. It was given to the people after they had been in Egypt for around 400 years. God had made these great promises to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob that one day he would lead them out. And the Lord, he hears their cry and he does just this. With great signs and power, he brings them out. And because he was already their God, he establishes this covenant with them. And as we touched on last week, the reason that there's all these laws and regulations, all these different sacrifices, is because God is holy, he's righteous, and he wants to dwell and be in the midst of his people. But the only way at this time that he could be with his people is to set up all these laws and regulations, all these sacrifices, so that he could dwell with them. And if the people, if they were obedient to this covenant, they would grow in their knowledge and relationship to the Lord, their, their commitment to him. They would see his great grace and mercy that he had for them. And also, the, the nation of Israel, they had this great privilege of being a light to the nations. So that as they were obedient to the Lord, as they loved him more, the nations would, would look at that and understand the true and living God. And the nations would, would understand who the Lord is better, and then they could worship the true and living God. So it wasn't just for Israel. They were to be this light to bring in the nations. But yet the people repeatedly broke the covenant. God, again, this loving husband, but they were the cheating wife. They rejected his great love for them. And because the Mosaic covenant had been broken repeatedly so many times, the Lord had to establish a new covenant. But if God needed to set up a new covenant, it leads to the question, was the old covenant, this Mosaic covenant, bad? Had God made a mistake? And we would say, no, the old covenant is not bad. There was nothing wrong with it. It showed God's holiness and his righteousness. 
It showed what pleased the Lord. It showed God's wonderful and amazing grace and the great lengths that he would go to be with his people. And so the old covenant wasn't bad. The issue was the people's sin. God knew that they would sin. That's why he set up the sacrifices. He wasn't expecting them to be perfect, but he did expect them to be faithful and committed to him. But generation after generation after generation, the Lord was so patient, but they kept breaking the covenant. And so something new had to be done. But also we may look at this new covenant and what we just read and ask, how do we know this new covenant applies to us? I mean, it's very specific in what we read. I'll make a new covenant with Israel and Judah. And really, we can think of this now as not separating the nations anymore because the Lord was bringing them back to be one. And so we can ask, how do we know this applies to us? We are outside of Israel. And so we need to take a step back and look at the different covenants that the Lord had made. And so we think of the the covenant that God made with Abraham and how he comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to become a mighty nation, this nation of Israel. And he tells Abraham that through his offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then we get to this covenant that God made with David. And in this covenant, God says that that through David's line, the Messiah would come. And this Messiah would, would have an everlasting kingdom. It would be set up on this earth, and the nation would flow to Jerusalem, and they would, would bless this Messiah. They would worship him and enjoy his kingdom forever. And so when we take a step back and look at these different covenants, the Mosaic covenant, this covenant with Abraham and David, As we go through different books of of the Old Testament, particularly Isaiah, we see that the Lord, he wasn't just saying this to the nation of Israel. He was bringing in the nations. Again, Israel was to be this light, and they failed, but the Lord had not given up on the nations coming to him. And so we can have confidence that you and I, who are not Israelites, are part of this great covenant of the Lord, this new covenant. So as that is kind of a background, I want us to look at how this new covenant applies to us today, and I want us to look at how it specifically applies to you. So first of all, the the new covenant provides you with a transformed heart. Look again at verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. In the Old Covenant, God's law was given to Moses to then share with the people. And this this law was given on stone tablets. You remember, Moses, he goes up to the mountain, he's given the law, and he brings it to share with the people. And being written on these stone tablets, what that was pointing to is that the law was external. But what we have here in the New Covenant is not a law that is external, but internal. And this means that we have a transformation of our hearts so that we can be obedient to the law of God. This is what takes place with the new covenant. And this is why in the New Testament, and that that term testament is interchangeable with covenant. So we say Old Testament and New Testament. We could also say Old Covenant and New Covenant. And this new heart that Jeremiah, he speaks about, this is why we see this over and over again in the New Testament. These terms of being born again of rebirth, 
of being a new creation. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, and Paul, if you're not familiar, he, before he became a believer, he hated Christians, hated them. He was seeking to find them, put them in prison, have them put to death, had no desire for Christ. But yet the Lord met him on the Damascus Road, and he transformed his heart. And then Paul would write to this Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You don't need to turn there, but he says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He says the old has passed away, the new has come. Paul had experienced that new birth. He was a new creation. And we need that transformation because the Bible gives us a very bleak picture of our natural heart. And when I speak of our heart, I'm not speaking of our physical heart, but the core of our being, who, who we are. And our heart, at the core, we reject God. We have no desire for him. Paul would write another letter in the New Testament to this church in the city of Ephesus. And in chapter 2, he gives this very, it's not a pretty picture. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He doesn't say just kind of moving around, kind of alive. He says you were dead, gratifying your cravings and passions. But he doesn't leave it there. He says, but God in his great love for us made us alive with Christ Jesus, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Paul would write in the book of Titus in chapter 3, at one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived. He says we were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. He says we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he says he saved us, not because of anything righteous that we had done, but because of God's mercy. And he says he saved us, there's this new covenant language, by the washing of rebirth, by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out generously through Christ Jesus our Savior. Foolish disobedient, not loving God, hating each other. And the Bible just kind of punches us in the mouth, right, when it comes to our natural heart. And so we need new hearts. What Paul is speaking in Titus and Ephesians is our heart before we knew the Lord. Disobedient, not desiring God. But yet in this new covenant, he transforms our heart. New birth, new creation. And our desires and our affections for the Lord, instead of being against God and opposed to him, we now love him. It's an amazing transformation. And it's important to understand this too, because we all have different experience. Sometimes when I speak, I think of, of our hearts being transformed. We, we get this picture of somebody that was really opposed to God. And we see that transformation and how they're now a believer. And we say, yes, they, they have that transformed heart. But yet this also applies to those who are religious, who are religious on the outside. And so what we find in talking about transformed heart is somewhere on the spectrum, each of us finds ourselves, or we may kind of slide a little bit on the spectrum, where we were religious on the outside, maybe indifferent to God, but then opposed. And so we find ourselves somewhere along that path. And so think about maybe, maybe you grew up in church, 
You were in kid ministry. You were in the youth ministry. You were at all the events. You weren't out partying with your friends. That was not your scene. But yet, so often we hear this when, when someone goes off to college and they got to get away from the Lord and they were, they were uh, religious on the outside. The Lord brings them back and speaks to their heart and they realize that all through growing up, they had no desire and affection for the Lord. Just on the outside, they wanted to look like they had it together. Maybe that's your experience. Some of us just so indifferent to Christianity. We just, we just didn't care. Take it or leave it. Doesn't, doesn't matter. And some of us were actively opposed to God. We didn't like God. We didn't like his law. We were going to do our own thing. And so each of us, before our hearts were made new, we find ourselves somewhere along that line, from the religious to the opposed. And I know for some of us, if we've grown up in church, we're, we're not exactly sure when our hearts were transformed. It's not as clear. Others, maybe you didn't grow up in church it's very clear, and that's awesome. I, I, I love those stories. I wish I had some more of that. But we all have different experiences. But the way that we can tell if our heart has been transformed is by, do you love the Lord? And I know it's not perfect. We, we still sin and mess up. But do you love the Lord? Do you have new affections and desires for him? Do you, wanna, do you want to please him? When you sin, and we sin because why? We like it. It brings us pleasure. But when you sin, is there that grief that went with that sin? And so you gave in. But yet it grieves your heart that you sinned against God. And do you have a love for others? If you love God, you love others. Again, not perfectly, but you cannot love God but not love other people. And so these are, are signs that your heart has been transformed, that your desires and affections have been changed, that you love God, that you love others, that you want to please him and be obedient to him. But secondly, the new covenant provides you with a personal relationship with God. Look at verse 34. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. So what we find in the Old Covenant is that, is that the Israelites, they had limited access to God. And a lot of this centered around the priest. And so the priest would teach the people. The priest would also have to do all the sacrificial work. And so the way this would work kind of on an individual or family basis is that you would bring a sin offering or even a thanksgiving offering. And you could not give that directly to the Lord. You had to, to bring it to the priest the priest was really this go-between between God and the people. And so they would offer the sacrifice. Now, this doesn't mean you didn't have a, uh, a relationship with the Lord, but again, it was limited. And then when we take a step back from that, kind of the individual or family with the nation, they had what was called the Day of Atonement. This is what we, we saw in the book of Leviticus. And so once a year, the high priest would go into the tabernacle. And this tabernacle, again, was, was limited because it was divided up. All the priests could go into what was the holy place, but this high priest only once a year could go into the most holy place. And they would take blood and they would sprinkle it. And this was a covering of the nation's sin. But what we see with Christ Jesus, with this new covenant, is what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 9, that Jesus Christ 
is our great high priest. And Jesus Christ entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, obtaining eternal redemption. And so this high priest in the old covenant, year after year, would have to to do this offering, this sacrifice. But Christ Jesus, the great high priest, once and for all, gave himself. He was the ultimate sacrifice. So no longer do we have this limited access to the Lord. And so when we put our faith in Christ Jesus, we now have unlimited access to God. We now have a, a personal relationship with him. And so when we sin, we can confess that directly to the Lord. When we want to thank him and praise him, we can do that directly to the Lord. In the book of 1 Peter, it talks about the priesthood of believers. You and I are now priests. We no longer have to worry about there being this separation. We can go directly to the Lord. But also in that personal and intimate relationship that we now experience in the new covenant, we know God in these more personal ways. We don't see this as much. It's there in some parts, but it's much clearer in the New Testament that God, our creator, the Holy One, he is also our father. He is also our friend. This is amazing. That God who is so holy, so different from us, yet we know him now as friend. We can call him our friend. We can call him our father And he doesn't just relate to us as father and friend. He is our father and our great friend. And what it says in verse 34 when it speaks of no longer will they teach their neighbor. I just want to clarify this. This doesn't mean that we don't need teachers and preachers. No, this is uh, spoken to in the New Testament. But what this is saying is that with the people of Israel, they were all under the old covenant. But only some of them had a a real relationship with God. And so this old covenant was for all the people, but really just a small remnant followed the Lord. But yet in the New Testament, everyone that puts their faith in Christ is now part of this. And Christ lives in their heart. The Holy Spirit lives in their heart. And yes, we need teachers, but again, the Holy Spirit is working and moving in our heart, teaching us to know him and love him more. There is a great transformation that has taken place. And then thirdly, and this, this might be the best one of all, the new covenant provides you with complete forgiveness from God. Look at verse 34, toward the end of verse 34. It says, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. You know, I think one of the most frustrating things of being a believer is though we have a transformed heart, and our desires and affections have been changed. And we, we know that, we feel it. But yet we still struggle and fight against our sinful desires. That, that sinful nature is still, still present. And so we still gossip, we lust, we, we treat people poorly at times. We're selfish at times, we're impatient. And because of the affections that we now have for the Lord, because they've been changed, we are grieved because of that sin. And though we confess it, and though God's word says that we are cleansed from it, we don't always believe it. I think part of that is because we don't really experience true forgiveness and forgetfulness of our sin with our personal relationships. So I don't know if this is you, it applies to your marriage or not, but sometimes in mine, we fight. (laughs) 
And this could apply to marriage. This could apply to a relationship you have with your kids or a friend, whatever. But you're kind of arguing. You're not getting along. Maybe you're trying to win the argument, make your point, whatever it is. And what do we do? We bring up that past sin, that past mistake, something that maybe they came to us and said, please forgive me. Say, I do forgive you. But yet, in the midst of that argument, we bring it back up. And so we don't ever really truly, because we don't experience with each other, have this mindset that our sin is truly forgiven and forgotten. And we shouldn't do that, but we do. But when it comes to the Lord, the all-knowing one, he chooses to not only forgive our sin, but to forget it. Amazing. And so when we gather to praise the Lord, we need to remember that promise of the new covenant, that we can sing with ultimate confidence and trust that we are forgiven and that the Lord does not remember our sin anymore, that, that if we mess up and sin, he's not going to bring it back up to us. He's forgotten it. It's removed. So praise the Lord for that. And all of this sounds great about the new covenant. And really, we're just touching the surface on this. I was uh, looking at one pastor's sermon on this. He had seven points. I wanted to spare you that, so I just kept it at three, all right? Seven points. It was good, but I couldn't go there. But how do we know we won't break this covenant? How do we know it won't be like the old covenant where God will once again have to do one more covenant? And the answer is that because this new covenant is based on better promises. Because the old covenant was conditional. It was dependent on the people of Israel that if they obeyed the Lord, this covenant would remain intact. But in the new covenant, it is totally dependent on God. And what God says in this passage that we just looked at, I will make a new covenant. He says, I will put my law in their minds. I will be their God. I will forgive their wickedness. And you go through that. It's not dependent on us. Now, yes, we want to be obedient to the Lord, but this covenant is not dependent on you and I. It is not conditional on us because we could not keep it if we didn't have new and transformed hearts. And we couldn't do it if this covenant was not sealed by the blood of Christ. Because what we find, and we say this when we do the, the Lord's Supper, in Luke 22, Jesus, this is the night before he's to be crucified. And he's meeting with his disciples, and he's, he's doing uh, the, the Passover meal. And he takes the cup like we, we do when we do the Lord's Supper, and he says this. This cup is poured out, meaning his death on the cross. He says, this cup is poured out and is the new covenant in my blood. And so we take confidence that what God promised 2,600 years ago to this people of Israel applies to us today, and it is sealed by the work of Christ. And our hope and our confidence, again, is not in us, but in the Lord. And I want to end with this. So Jeremiah, he's writing to this people they're in the midst of great confusion and despair. They're, they're questioning their relationship with the Lord. And he gives them this great promise. But yet they lived in this now, but not yet. Because it would be 600 years, a little over 600 years before Christ would arrive and initiate this new covenant. 
And so they returned to the land, uh, some of the promises they enjoyed, but not all of it was fulfilled. But this is also for us, that we live in the now, but not yet. Because yes, we have new and transformed hearts. We have a personal relationship with God. Our sins have been forgiven, but yet we still sin. We don't love the Lord with all of our heart and our mind and our soul. But what we see is that one day Christ will return and he will fulfill and totally complete all of these promises. And Jesus Christ, this this offspring, the offspring of Abraham, the Messiah through the line of David, he will come and he will give us new and glorified bodies Bodies that that have sin no more, where we purely and perfectly love the Lord, and where we will be in an everlasting city in the new heaven and the new earth. And so now, we long to see Christ, right? We long to, to see him more than just in his word and him living in his heart. We long to see him face to face. And so take comfort that one day he will fulfill all these promises. Take comfort that our Savior has sealed this in his blood and he will return one day and we will be with him for all eternity.